Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Well, this morning I have the chance to jump into a series that you're in that's called Lord, uh, Build Your Church. And I'm jumping into your current series, and the series is unpacking some of the most uh, foundational commitments in these early days of your church, some of your most foundational commitments that together, as a church, you're saying, we want to be about these things. We want these things to mark our church and all the activities of our church. And so if I remember correctly, you've already uh, discussed the priority of the mission of your church, which is so important. So many people that attend churches all over the city don't even know why they're there, And it's so important for you to know what the mission of your church is and trusting that you're putting your arms around that mission. You've talked about the centrality of preaching in the church. You've talked about prayer and worship and relationships and the significance of those things in the local church. And today we get the opportunity to unpack, I think it's the fifth and final commitment of your church, and that is the commitment to uh, evangelism. Evangelism. Now, evangelism very often is a a scary thing. It's a thing that we would all hear about and we would all read about on our websites and our doctrinal statements, a thing we would look at and say, yeah, we're about evangelism. Yes, we want, we want us to be a church about evangelism, but evangelism is scary. It's something that we would all give a hearty amen to. Yeah, we want to do that, but it's also something that we would all be very afraid to do in one way or another. And it's also something that's often misunderstood and there hasn't been much clarity given to what exactly are we doing? What what exactly is this commitment to evangelism? I understand preaching. There's a guy that stands up there each week and he opens the Bible and he preaches. I kind of understand worship. I I sing and I live my life as an act of worship to the Lord as well. Prayer, I kind of get. But but what is evangelism? The word evangelism comes from a word meaning good news or gospel. And so my goal for this morning is very simple, and it's twofold. Uh, Here's my aim for us today. I want to bring a little bit of clarity. I can't say everything there needs to be said about evangelism, but I want to bring a little bit of clarity. I want to align our definition of evangelism and our expectations of evangelism with the Bible. That's all I want to do today. I want to align our definition And I want to align our expectations of what evangelism is and what we should expect when we engage in this. I want to align those things with the Bible for the purpose of equipping us and preparing us for more fruitful and effective 
evangelism. Because I, I, I hope what you've realized by now when you've decided to join this church in the earliest days, I hope you've realized that what we're doing here today is not, is not for us only. Well, what we're doing, we're not just trying to gather a bunch of people in a room and, and get it nice and big and more people filling chairs and having a lot of programs and, and we're all happy here together. One, one big happy family. Is, is that what we want? No, we are a family. We want to grow together. But we need to go from here. We need to take these awesome truths that we've been singing about and you need to take them to someone outside of here. And so I want to just start with a simple definition. We're about to get into God's word, but I think it's important just to introduce a few things. I want to start with a simple definition so we all know what we're talking about. I got this definition from Max Stiles in his book, Evangelism. I, I found it helpful. It's on the screen. Max Stiles puts it this way. He says it simply this way. Evangelism is, what is it? Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Teaching the gospel, the good news, with the aim to persuade. So let's break this down a bit on the screen for you. Teaching. Why teaching? Well, because the message of salvation must be communicated and learned by people who don't know it, who don't understand it. They have no concept of the reality of fallen man and a redeemer, Jesus Christ, and redemption that's offered. There's a teaching element involved because people need to learn about their state, the state of their hearts, and also the reality of Jesus Christ and what he's come to do. Teaching is important. Secondly, teaching what? The gospel. Why? Because it is the content of the gospel itself that is the power of God for salvation. Romans 1.16 says that. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. I, I'm not going to try to do other things. I'm, I'm not going to try to tickle people's ears. I, I'm not going to try to just show them something that they want to hear. Why? Because there's no power in that. The power is in the gospel. It always amazes me when churches start and their goal is, well, we'll get to the gospel later. We'll get to the Bible later. Let's just try to get people excited about something else. But there's no power in that. The power is in the gospel itself. It is the power. That's why Paul, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. People hate me because of the gospel. They beat me because of the gospel. They reject me because of the gospel. But I'm not ashamed of it. Why? Because those who grasp it can be saved by it. Amen. So teaching, teaching the gospel. Thirdly, teaching the gospel with the aim. Uh, that's important. An aim and a goal is absolutely critical to keep in plain view. Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, that the aim of our charge is love. We evangelize with the loving aim. There's an aim. There's a, there's a goal of helping people move from darkness into light. There's a goal. There's an aim. We, we teach the gospel with a loving and humble aim to bring people out of the, the slavery of their sin, that they, they love so much the slavery of their sin, but they're dying. And so we have an aim to lovingly take people out of darkness and bring them in 
to light. Without an aim, without a goal, our communication or our teaching can quickly become merely a data transfer of important information without the love and humility that's required to exemplify, to show the reality of the gospel. This should be our aim and our goal. So teaching the gospel with the aim, and finally this, to persuade. When Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, listen, he says, we persuade others. Later in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore... All have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. We reason, we, uh, we reconcile biblical realities for people. We talk with them. Max Stiles said it this way on the screen. He said, the word persuade is helpful as it guards us from error. We persuade, but we do not manipulate. We persuade, but we are not the ones who bring about repentance or conversion. Of course, we long to see people converted because we understand that conversion is required for them to become Christians, but true conversion is the work of of the Holy Spirit. And so in evangelism, we reason with people passionately and graciously. We convince people with urgency. We compel people lovingly to turn from sin and to embrace Jesus Christ. This is evangelism, teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade And when people are persuaded by the Holy Spirit, they are moved from death to life, from darkness to light, from slavery to freedom. This is the task of every local church. This is the task of every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, to join God in the building of his kingdom. It's not an optional task. It's not a recommended task. It is the task. It is the work and responsibility of every single follower of Jesus Christ. So I want to take us to an instance in scripture in the life of the early church where we see evangelism happening And I want us to align our definition and our expectations with the scriptures so that we can be ready. So I want you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4. We read it. We're going to read it again. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. The title of this morning's message is, Lord, build your church through our commitment to evangelism. Acts chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. And this is what it says. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed, because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Verse 4, but, but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 
thousand. Amazing. I read an article a few years ago. It was entitled this, Does the Gospel Offend You? And this is what it said. While genuine Christianity is peaceful, mild, and benevolent, history shows us that it has been attacked with the bitterest hate from the beginning. Why? It is clearly offensive to the unregenerate mind. In an age where folks would rather defend the false teacher instead of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to be reminded that the gospel message is supposed to ruffle feathers, particularly because it helps us identify the sheep from the goats. The unregenerate and even some who claim the name of the Lord would rather gather around a campfire holding hands singing kumbaya than to dare allow the sensitive ears of those who ignore the word of God to be offended by allowing his truth to be revealed through his word. I think this simple quote reinforces the reality of what we see taking place in many churches and in the lives of many believers everywhere. I, I want us to align our definitions and to align our expectations biblically. So I want you to write this down. Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade is expectations. Ready? It's often offensive. It's often offensive. Let's go and highlight a little bit of the context of Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are on their way to the temple for prayer, and they see a lame beggar. If you look back in the pages of the Bible, you see that taking place. They pray for him, and he receives healing in the name of Jesus Christ. The, The people were amazed at the healing. They were amazed at what happened, and the healing provided Peter and John a platform to teach the gospel with the aim to persuade. I want you to notice uh, the response in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 4 that we already read. And, And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Uh, Were they really happy and excited about what was going on? No, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. They arrested them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. Now the Greek rendering here of this passage, it carries the idea of the religious leaders coming suddenly and with hostile intent. The the text tells us that they were greatly annoyed. Other translations say they were greatly disturbed. And here's Peter and John. They've just healed in the power of Jesus Christ, a a lame beggar, and people are amazed and they're wondering, by what power has this been done? But the religious leaders of the time, they're not excited about this. They are deeply offended. Now, they're deeply offended by their message. They're also deeply offended by Peter and John, the messengers. This is really important for us to understand as we align our expectations. Commentator Albert Barnes writes this. He wrote, They were offended that unlearned Galileans, in no way connected with the priestly office, unauthorized by them, should presume to set themselves up as religious teachers. So the priests and Sadducees were thinking, who who do you think you are? Because in their minds, Peter and John were unlearned fishermen with no authority to teach anything concerning religion. But they were mainly annoyed because of the message. 
Because listen, if the message of the apostles was embraced in that context, it would expose the chief priests and the Sadducees as heretics, and this would be bad news. So they are, they are furious. And so here's what I want you to see taking place. There's, there's something even under all of their annoyance that's driving their hostility It's the enthroning of themselves. It's their relentless attempt to enthrone themselves as God and dethrone the true and living God. And that's what's taking place everywhere in our society. People are offended by the gospel because people want to be their own God. And when you engage in evangelism, if you want to align your expectations biblically, you need to understand that people won't only be offended by your message, they'll be offended by you because here you come defying their own autonomy. Here you come challenging their own individuality, which has become a god in our Western world. Everyone, I want to be my own man, my own person, an individual unto myself. I want to believe what I want to believe and do my own thing. And so let's align our expectations biblically. The reality is people who are dead in sin worship themselves and their pleasures and their own autonomy and their own ability to do whatever they want. And when you come with the gospel that says, relinquish control of your life to someone else, they get angry with you. They're not only offended because you're coming to them in this way, they're offended by your message, but they're also offended by you. Why is that so important? It's important because we live in an age somehow that, that church planters want to plant a church and, and they think everybody's going to love them. People want to plant the flag in the ground and they come into an area that's hostile to the gospel and say, well, you know what, I'm going to do the right things and have the right signs, I'm going to get a nice stage set up, I'm going to have the right musicians, we're going to set this all up nicely and we're going to go in the community and we're going to love people. Yes, we want to do that, but the expectation is everyone's going to love us. Everyone's going to love everything we say. You know what happens to a lot of Christians, a lot of pastors, a lot of church planters, a lot of really zealous believers? Because they haven't aligned their expectations with the Bible, the discouragement that sets in, the despair that sets in because we have failed to align our expectations with the Bible Loved ones, in this city, there are hundreds and thousands of people that hate God. And they hate the people of God. And they hate the message of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, you have to go into the world. No, you're going as sheep among wolves. Not everyone's going to love Hope Church Toronto North. People aren't going to be rallying around Hope Church Toronto North. Yeah, yeah, give us more. Give us more. Some people are thinking, get out of here. What do you think you're doing here? So we have to align our expectations biblically because the message of salvation through Christ alone threatens one's individual autonomy and calls for the full transfer of the control of our lives from ourselves to God. And this is highly offensive for people who are enslaved by their own burning desire to be their own God. This is what we're dealing with. 
This is what we're dealing with in the city of Toronto. This is what we're dealing with all around the world. It's no different. I just get, got back from Peru yesterday. We got off the plane, and what I experienced there was the same reality. That people hate God, and unless the church is mobilized with the right expectations, we'll fall to despair and discouragement too quickly. And so teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade is often offensive. Some of you are saying, you came here to, to, to tell us that? You came here to discourage us? I, I don't know. I'm not too excited. I'm not too encouraged with what you're saying. But here, there's something else in the, in the text that I don't want you to miss. Teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. It's often offensive. Be ready. Align your expectations. Not everyone's going to love you, but I want you to write this down now. Uh, teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade is also exceedingly effective. Okay, it's exceedingly effective. Look at the Bible, verse 3 to 4. And they, were, and, and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening, verse 4. But, but many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. That's the good news. Not only is evangelism often offensive, but evangelism is exceedingly effective. There's two things happening here as a result of the evangelistic efforts of the apostles. Two opposite extremes that we, we sometimes have a hard time reconciling with one another. While the message is offending people and getting the apostles arrested, the message is also exceedingly effective. The awesome reality is this. In the midst of persecution, in the midst of opposition, in the midst of the offense, God always sees to it that the gospel will bear fruit. And so while you're here in this city just getting started, you're just a little baby, precious baby church just getting started. Align your expectations biblically. People will often be offended by us. But that doesn't mean we stop because the truth is in the midst of offense and opposition, God continues to bring people to himself through the faithful witness of his church. And so, some, again, when we don't align our expectations with the Bible, we try to evangelize, we're all excited, we get offense, we get opposition, and we give up, and we stop. No, don't stop, because God will find a way in his sovereignty to let that word land on good soil. Maybe it's not in that moment with that person. Maybe it's someone else. His timing is always ama amazing. There's a picture on the screen for you of, uh, of William Carey, and he's often called the father of modern missions. I learned a lot from biographies. In the 18th century, he was sent as a missionary to India, and he faced a tremendous hardships. Just want you to learn from the people from the past. For his first two years in India, he received no mail and didn't see a single convert for the first seven years. Now, in the day that we live in, some people will say, well, William Carey, you're not being very fruitful over there. Maybe you've got to change your plans. Maybe you've got to find a new career. Maybe preaching's not your thing. Maybe this mission thing, you know, maybe it's not for you. I mean, seven years, not one person has come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Just get some perspective, because in our churches, we think, if the church is not a thousand people after two weeks of planting, we're failing. What are you talking about? It's not true. 
After 19 years of labor in translating the Bible, listen to this, a fire destroyed all of his manuscripts and 10 versions of the Bible. With tears in his eyes, he said, in one short evening, the labors of years are consumed. How unsearchable are the ways of God. The Lord has laid me low that I may look more simply to him. Carrie later suffered an accident, leaving him lame to the end of his life. He lost two wives in death while on the mission field. For 41 years, he never went back home, but continued to faithfully teach the gospel with the aim to persuade in India. Listen to what he wrote in one of his journals. He wrote this. When I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong. But amongst so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Well, he wrote, I have God and his word is true. Though I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my faith fixed on that sure word would rise about all the obstacles and overcome every trial. God's cause will triumph. And his ministry was a major influence in its social reform in India and marked the upward turning point of Indian culture. His life inspired the birth of educational institutions and resulted in the Baptist Missionary Society, which serves in over 40 countries now. Carrie's impact and legacy continues until this day. Why? Why? Because regardless of what we may see, opposition and persecution and offense and tragedy and seemingly no fruit. The gospel of Jesus Christ is exceedingly effective and it is powerful. Now some of us need to hear this today. Some of us need to hear this today because if we're honest with ourselves, we've tried sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the aim to persuade, but we have been opposed. We didn't get the immediate response we thought we should get. We've given up and even doubted the power of the gospel to save. Some of us have family members and you've been witnessing and you've been witnessing and you've been witnessing and now you've just given up. You just put your hands in the air and you just think to yourself, this is not working and you're discouraged. Now, there's so many people in our church that I hear about, they have a spouse that's not saved and they say, Pastor Jason, I just keep sharing, I keep sharing and they've, they, just, they, don't want, they don't want to hear it anymore. In 10 years and 20 years and 30 years of teaching the gospel with the aim to persuade. Does this even work? Is God doing anything here? I'm so discouraged. I want you to hear this. While it is true that evangelism is often offensive, it is true that it is exceedingly effective. And our obedience to the call to share the good news of Jesus Christ is not based on stats. It's not like I shared once and they, gave, they, they, they rejected it. I shared another time. They got saved 50-50. All right, I'm going to keep doing it. No. 
Because you may be sitting here and say, statistics for me are really dismal. I've shared it and I've shared it and I've shared it and I've shared it. I have no response. Doesn't mean we give up, loved ones. We have to rally. We have to rally around this commitment that we are going to be a church that teaches the gospel with the aim to persuade, that is fueled by this gathering, but then leaves this place knowing that even as this Christmas season is upon us, we're gonna be in homes eating Christmas dinner with people that don't know Jesus Christ, and that I have an opportunity to teach the gospel with the aim to persuade, with humility, with patience, with love, with graciousness, with a desire that is fueled in prayer, that I want so much, God, to use my life in the lives of people, and I'm not going to stop just because they oppose me and I'm not going to become annoying and arrogant when they oppose me but I'm going to humble myself that all the more when they oppose me because I know that the power is not in myself the power is in God to save and so I want to leave us with some really practical help to encourage us and to inspire and to propel us listen to continue to teach the gospel to all people with the aim to persuade and to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ. How should we teach the gospel with the aim to persuade in the midst of opposition, maybe in your situation, in the midst of just no fruitfulness that you can see? I'm gonna show you a few things. Number one, you can write this down. How should we do it? Number one, we have to remember the glorious gospel, okay? It's amazing how many people, in their attempt to evangelize, Forget the gospel. They leave the gospel out. Remember, it is the power of God for salvation. On the screen is John Piper who wrote this. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for our sins and rose again, eternally triumphant over his enemies so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe but only everlasting joy. He wrote that is the gospel. Now maybe it should go without saying, but I don't want to presume. If you're going to be effective in evangelism, and if you're going to endure in evangelism, you must know the gospel. Now we're working on this with our children. We have this way of just helping our children remember the gospel because it's so amazing. You've been a Christian for so many years and someone comes to you and says, hey, hey what's the gospel? You'd be like, okay, Jesus died for my sins. Maybe before that would happen and then, and then, and then we're gonna, and then we're gonna go to heaven one day uh, but, then, but then, oh, they need to hear about hell and oh, they have to repent of their sins and we don't really know where to go and what to say and how to do it succinctly and I'm in a, a line at the coffee shop and how do I show this guy that's asking me a question all of a sudden, uh, the gospel. How do I do that? Well, let me just suggest to you an amazing book because I don't have time to go through it right now. It's called uh, What is the Gospel? There's a picture of it, I think, on the screen there. Let me just tell you this. If you want to be a church that is effective in communicating the gospel and enduring and persevering in this, you have to remember and know the glorious gospel. If you don't know what it is, if you have trouble articulating it, get this book. It's going to help you. It's a small book like this big. It's simple. It outlines for you a simple way to articulate and understand the gospel. You'll read it and you'll step back and you'll be like, now I get it. Now I get it. Now I know how to articulate it. Okay? So remember the glorious gospel. Secondly, this. How are we going to persevere in the midst of opposition with this commitment? Secondly, is this hope in the power of God. 
Hope in the power of God, loved ones. The hope for the most offended and hardened sinner is this, that God's power can save anyone. If you lose sight of that, if you get caught up in thinking it's your articulation of the gospel, it's your enthusiasm about the gospel, it's your initiative in sharing the gospel that's going to be the difference maker, we're going to go down a bad path. You have to hope in the power of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, 6-7, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. This is a good verse for church plants. We plant, we water, but who gives the growth? The dynamic pastor that's up in front, does he give the growth? The amazing oratory abilities of Pastor Marvin, does he give the growth? Shayan's unbelievable gifting as a worship leader, and he is so gifted, but does that give the growth? Who gives the growth? God gives the growth. And so we hope in the power of God to bring the growth. As you're sharing the gospel with people this Christmas season and reaching into the lives of people that don't know Jesus Christ, you remember the gospel, but your hope is in the power of God. Now, how many times do we walk away from a witnessing opportunity and this is what we do? I didn't do well enough. I, I, I didn't articulate it well enough. We beat ourselves up. I didn't, I didn't say the right things. Oh, I forgot this important piece. And, and who's that all about? That becomes all about me. You got to hope in the power of God. Thirdly, thirdly, how do we endure in this commitment? Uh, speak boldly for Christ. Speak boldly for Christ. This is the fundamental, common, and consistent feature of all New Testament evangelism. In fact, Paul says in Ephesians 6.19, he says to the church, pray also for me. Pray for what, Paul? What do you want? He says that the words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. And some of you are sitting there saying, well, that's easy for you to say. You're a preacher. You can be bold. Pastor Marvin, he can be bold. Shan, you know, the elders of this church, they can be bold, but I'm, I'm shy, I'm timid, I'm not really that outgoing. I just want you to understand, this has nothing to do with personality. It is spirit-given. Who was the boldest person in Acts chapter 2? Okay, I'll tell you. Peter. Peter stands up to preach the gospel, and 3,000 people are saved on the day of Pentecost. But remember who Peter was before that. What did Peter do? Peter was bailout Peter, sellout Peter, coward Peter, the Peter who bailed out on Jesus Christ. They, Jesus is being dragged to the cross. And all, hey, aren't you one of his disciples? He, no, 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 I don't know the guy. Never met him in my life. That's Peter. Not very bold. Very cowardly. But on the day of Pentecost, guess what happens? The Spirit of God is poured out upon the church. Guess what made the difference? Peter's personality? No. Peter's ability to speak? No. Guess what made the difference? The spirit of the living God that indwelt the heart of Peter. The spirit of the living God that dwells in your heart and my heart. Boldness. It's not about personality. It's about the spirit of God filling us and empowering us 
so that the quietest amongst us, the most shy amongst us, the most introverted amongst us could be a powerhouse of evangelism. The Spirit of God in us. So, speak boldly for Christ. Fourth, build relationships. Build relationships. This is a call to genuinely love people. God doesn't use evangelism that doesn't care about the person it's evangelizing. And so we build relationships where genuine love is seen and experienced to give people a tangible expression of your own proclamation. Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples, that you have an amazing church plant? No. That you have love for one another. Build relationships. Now this is something that we all have. At work, you have relationships with people. At school, you have relationships with people. Invest in those. Love the people that you're already connected to. That person in the office next door. That person in the cubicle next door. That person who sits next to you in the lecture hall. That person you keep seeing at the bus stop. That person you keep seeing in the grocery line or at the gas station in your neighborhood. Build in those relationships because they get to see a tangible expression of love in your life. And I can guarantee you what's going to happen if you let unbelievers into your life and you get in their lives through relationship. You know what's going to happen? It's not going to take long before they say, oh, where's that place you go on Sunday again? Or, or why, why, why are you so honest? Or I noticed you were, the way you reacted towards this thing. How, it's so good. Like, how did you do that? You don't have to do anything but be a Christian in relationship with people and I'm telling you, you can't, do, you can't do anything to spark the questions and the interactions that are going to come into your life. And God will bring those. And you need to be ready. And we need to be ready. Instead of hiding the light, let your light shine through those relationships. Finally, I'm going to leave you with this. I use opportunities wisely. If you think carefully and biblically, you'll realize that every single day is full of opportunities. Every single day. I know some of us will start to feel guilty. And this is not a time for guilt because some of us will say, I had an opportunity and I was, I was ashamed the other day. And, and, and I had the, my neighbor asked me this question. I, I kind of shoved it under the carpet and I, I moved on because I, I really didn't feel bold enough to share the gospel. And some of us feel overwhelmed with guilt. That there's no space for guilt right now. Because guess what? There's no condemnation for anyone who is in Christ. But there's opportunity to be inspired and challenged and grace-filled. Use opportunities wisely. When they ask what you're doing this weekend, when she wonders why you're so real and honest about everything, when he casually begins to talk about good karma or says, you only live once. How many people have said that? How many times has someone said that to me? Hey, I'm going to buy a new car. You only live once. And they walk away. I'm just like, come back. I want to tell you something. Your car is not going to save you. Your car is not going to satisfy you. And you don't only live once. You'll pass from this life to a new life. And it's either going to be in heaven with Christ forever or it's going to be separated from God forever. So Ephesians 5.15 says, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. 
making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Loved ones, let's just align our expectations biblically. The days we live in are evil. The agendas all around us are evil. The opposition and hatred to the church of Jesus Christ is intensifying. Expect opposition. But embrace this truth that while the message is offensive, it is exceedingly effective. God will save until Christ returns. His redemptive plan is unfolding. And there are people in this room that represent many more people who don't know Jesus Christ. And God will mobilize this church and the individuals in this church to be not just about this church, but beyond the walls of this church to share the message that saves with everyone who will hear. It'll get you hated sometimes, but many other times you'll see with tears the most hardened people put their faith in Christ and be released from slavery of their sin. I said this early on in the life of our church. I said every single empty seat in this auditorium, we, we meet in a theater and I look up and so every single empty seat We're not gonna try to just make people excited about being here by making it more appealing. How about this? If each of us can have a vision of the seat next to you that's empty, of someone you know that doesn't know Christ, wouldn't it be amazing if through your witness they come to know Jesus and one day they're sitting in that seat next to you? So look next to you. You see an empty seat. Look around. If you see an empty seat, Maybe that'll be filled by someone that you will share the gospel with. And even the most hardened person that you're thinking would never come to faith. God, God can save them. It's his power that is at work. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. And I just want you to take this opportunity to Surrender yourself to God. Just give yourself up to God afresh. I know what it's like. Life is so hard. I understand the, the, the challenges we all face. Sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, we can't even get ourselves together. I understand that. Sometimes we can't even get our spiritual life together, let alone share it with someone else. Maybe this is your moment to say to the Lord, God, my life I need to get my spiritual life together. It's, it's so hard to follow you some days and maybe this is your moment to just offer yourself up to him again and say, Lord, in my marriage with my children, in my workplace, with my finances, I just, I'm having such a hard time just keeping myself together, but I want, I want so much for you to use me in my weakness to see others come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. Maybe in, in this moment you can be really honest and just say, Lord, I, I haven't been faithful to this commitment, but I want to be. Make me faithful to that commitment now. Give me the power I need. Give me the boldness I need. Give me the faithfulness I need to be 
enduring in my life in this commitment. Maybe you're here right now and there's someone that's coming to your mind. Through the whole message, there's a, you know who you are. There's someone that keeps coming to your mind and you think, I know I need to share. I know I need to share. I know I need to teach this gospel with the aim to persuade. How about you pray for that person right now? Lord Jesus, I pray for Jeremy. I pray for Jen. I pray for Tony. I pray for Norma. Who are you going to pray for right now? Give me boldness when I've so often been so weak and timid. Give me courage by the Holy Spirit. Help me to be amazed again by the reality of this glorious gospel that I cannot keep it to myself. I pray, Lord, make this church a church not driven by statistics, but a church driven by this commitment to see people come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.